Welcome to Geek Salad, a podcast about two guys talking about their passion for anything geek, from the digital world to the not-so-digital world. Now here are your hosts, Randy and Jay A. LaRock. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Geek Salad. We are on episode six, I want to say. <laughs> this guy's so far. We put out so many of these things or so little, if, if ever you want to look at it, that we cannot remember. Let's see. Hold on. We'll double check to make sure this will be, I believe, number six. Yeah, I wasn't sure myself Con, either. <laughs> I think our Gen Con, yeah, it's number six because Gen Con was our episode five. So whoo-hoo, welcome to episode six. I am Randy, the mischievous meepo. With me always is the obsolete gamer, Mr. J.A. LaRock. What's up, Jose? What's up? It's been a long time, but that gives us enough time to get a lot of data to put a rich yes. show together. Yes. Uh, so to fill you wonderful folks at home, uh, real life did get in the way again, as we always tend to do. Adulting is hard. Hasn't given us enough time to game which is why it's taken us so much time to come out with wonderful content for you folks at home. However, we're back. We're here to give our little info to you guys, get you guys all caught up, give you tempty with things to buy. Um, so for me, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about, which is funny that we just were talking about before we came on air, which is funny because as Jose said, hey, that's a good way to practice. Um, what I have been kind of like getting into more so lately and all that, I have gotten a couple of new games that I've gotten to play. Uh, but I've been delving deep into uh, this right here. It is the Fake Core RPG system, um, which intrigued me a bit uh, in watching Will Wheaton's really great show on YouTube. If, if you guys have not seen it, I highly suggest you check it out called Tabletop, where he gets together with a bunch of his Hollywood friends and they play different games. Um, he had one where he actually had the one of the designers of the Fake Court system come on and GM a game for him. Um, now, I've liked a lot of RPGs in the past. Like, I've played Dungeons & Dragons when I was younger. Really, really enjoyed that because I liked the whole story aspect of it, and you get to play this like character that you normally don't get to play. What really intrigued me about Fate Core System is, A, the simplification of the system itself. Um, and what I mean by that is with Dungeons and Dragons, it has a very complicated system where you have to roll to find what your strength is, what your dexterity is, your armor, your skills, like what are you good at and this and that. This game basically takes that core system and just goes and throws it out the window. And what they do is you do have certain skills, which is funny because after watching the episode, I saw that they used some little props and things like that, and I actually found out what they did, and I actually got them myself for when I play this, um, is they do have skills. Um, I have here, this is kind of like I got printed up. Um, it's one of the 18 skills that are available in the game. Um, and when you create your characters, so people that are playing their characters, you have uh, abilities or skills that you're really good at, then you're above average, then you're average, and then normal. And you pick these skills amongst these 18 and you put them and you'll get either a plus four, plus three, plus two, plus one, or zero. The way that it works is they've simplified it in the sense of with Dungeons and Dragons, you have a bunch of different sided dice that you roll depending on A, your skill, what you're using, and things like that to get your result. 
Fate Core essentially gives each player character four dice that have pluses, minuses, and blanks on them. Um, so they're six-sided, and when you invoke one of these skills, you essentially roll those four dice, and whatever your skill is at, you either add the pluses, you subtract the minuses, that's your final result, and then you move on with the story. So really simplified how you resolve things that happen in the story, which I thought was great. Um, the other thing that was really nice is as you go creating your character, instead of doing like, what's my armor and what's my this and what's my that, is you have these things called aspects. So there is two aspects. There's one that is your, uh, what they call your uh, trouble. And then the other one is what they call the high concept. So the high concept is essentially a phrase that like best describes your characters, like their will, their drive. And then your trouble is anything that kind of goes against that. So uh, as the example that I gave you earlier, Jose, in the game itself, it kind of gives you a mock scenario where one of the girls playing is playing a um, female fighter that her high concept is she's the girl, the girl that's good with swords. But one of her travels is she's tempted by shiny things. So what's interesting is with this phrase, you can use the GM can use it as he's telling the story to kind of like add little twists here and there to the actual story itself. And what's neat is you can use these phrases to be a good thing or a bad thing for the character. So one example they kind of give is, hey, they're going down a hallway in a dungeon, and she kind of looks down this little side hall and sees like a treasure chest that's laced with gold and all that. And because she is tempted by shiny things, her character is going to want to go and look at this treasure chest and possibly open it. Now, one of the things that's neat is whenever the GM does one of these things, he will kind of hand over or possibly hand over what's called a fate point, which the fate points you can use for one of two things. You could use it as a character to invoke one of your... Uh, one of these aspects in the storyline. Or if you roll really badly, you can trade in a fate point to get automatically plus two to whatever roll you did. Um, and what's neat is when the GM offers it to you, you have two options. You either can try and convince me that, hey, no, like because I know this and my other concepts and this and that, I avoid the trouble that I'm going to get into and pay me a fate coin. Or you can sit there and say, you know what, I'll take whatever trouble comes, I'll take that fake coin and I'll use it later on. So it really adds a lot of flexibility to the storyline itself. And what really compelled me to this, this type of RPG is, unlike Dungeons & Dragons, where it is fixed on a fantasy setting, this game you can pretty much put it in any setting you want whatsoever. So you can do a fantasy. You can do like a zombie apocalypse if you want. Like you can do a cyberpunk. You know, any type of thing that you do. Like you can do superheroes. And what's neat is they've come out with other books that help you along to if you want to do like, I want to do a superhero-based story, like how you can adjust the systems based on like the superpowers that the characters have and stuff. So it's really, really neat. Like, I, I highly suggest, like, if it sounds like something that you may be interested in, like, check out that episode of Tabletop from Will Wheaton where they played it. Like, because it's, it's about a 45-minute episode. And you kind of, like, they don't go over every exact little thing, but they give you a really good idea 
of what it could be like. And it really, really intrigued me like to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this book and I want to read this. I like, I would like to have a, a, a session like this with friends of mine and stuff. So it took me back to the old school days of D&D and playing all those like Dungeons and Dragons video games that were based off of like the Baldur Skate series and all that. It was very story driven. <laughs> but. Uh, for me, a friend of mine uh, purchased Fortnite and got like the Legends Ultra Pack, which came with like additional games that you could give to people. Oh, he dove in way into the pool. Huh? Oh, yeah. He spent a lot of money. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, that's why it's good to have people <laughs> do that since I came. People, I got money. <laughs> I make friends with money. It's like they say, you, you don't buy a boat. You make friends with someone that's got a boat. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, Fortnite, for you guys don't know, there's basically two versions of it. There's a version that you can get for free, which is the Battle Royale, which is you play against other people. And then you have... Uh, the Save the World campaign, where that's the uh, player versus environment. So I haven't played the Battle Royale yet because I really want to get used to the gameplay. And how this works is when you start off, there's like a story mode, but there's also a lot of quests. And the idea of the game is, is there's a storm that brought against uh, all these all undead uh, against the world. So there you start off with your basic, which they call husks, which are your basic zombies, and then it goes up from there. You have ones that wear like baseball uniforms and they throw bones at you. You have uh, ones that you launch their head uh, at you like uh, you know, projectiles. You have like the giant fat ones that have a lot of power. You have really gigantic ones that can run and storm your base. So that's one part of it. But then you also have kind of like that Minecraft building aspect where you go around and you can destroy almost any anything. It kind of reminded me of um, a little bit of Starbound where you start off with this item. You, start, you have your axe, and your axe destroys pretty much almost anything in the world except like the actual hard ground. Like you might be able to break up the floor of a house, but when you get to the foundation, you can't break that. Obviously, you fall through the world. But what's cool is, is that you know, it kind of helps your destructive side. <laughs> so you're running around, and you got to collect these resources because you need – the resources to build up your forts. And not only do you have your home base shield, because basically the idea is you have a shield generator that protects your home base and the shield repels the undead. So that's kind of like your, think of it almost like having your private home in an MMO or in a game where that's yours, but you have to defend it and build it up because first your shield generator is small, then you do these things where you defend the shield generator where you build up defenses around your fort and around the shield generator, and then you have to battle off waves of uh, zombies. Usually, I think it's maybe a total of maybe 10, 15 minutes. It's about three or four waves, depending on the level. And once you do that, then it'll expand. And that's the idea. You're, you're trying to expand your base, but then you go off into the world and you do little missions like there might be a van that can go up and it's trying to get data on the storm so you can find out where it's coming from. So your mission is to go into this world, find a van, activate it, protect it while it launches, and that's one part. There's other these things called atlases, which if it fires up, it's supposed to disperse the storm. So same thing. You have to go and find this item, launch it, protect it while it's doing its thing until it's done. So in all these aspects, you can either do it by yourself, with friends, or with the public. And 
what's cool about that, like I said, the building aspect is just great because you have your three items, your major core uh, materials, which is wood, stone, and metal. And as you go on, you can build this up. They have different trees. You have your skill trees, which has different levels, and it'll do different things. And then you have your research tree, where you can also add things like storage place, because you have a backpack which can hold certain things. It doesn't count against your like your core three materials. That has like a 999 limit, at least as far as what I've seen. So you could have 999 bricks, 999 wood, and so on. But then there's other things that go in your backpack, like batteries and um, you know planks and traps and things like that. So when you're building up your fort, not only is it to surround an item that you're protecting, but then you put traps on it. Like you can put a trap that shoots out poison gas or electrocutes or spikes on the floor or things that launch uh, enemies away from you. So it's all this to protect the item, plus you can craft weapons. You know, you have different classes, soldier, ninja, outlander, things like that. And they'll use, you know, sniper rifles, assault rifles, guns, uh, swords, and all these you build as well. And the thing is, is since everything breaks, you're always rebuilding. So you'll get a schematic for a gun, but when you're using the gun, it'll eventually break and, and pretty quickly too, especially if you die. So you're constantly building, you're constantly getting materials because you might think, hey, I have 900 bullets for this gun and I have to do a shield defense. No problem, I got plenty. But if you're alone or it's you and you have maybe an AI defender, you can use up those bullets really quick. So if you're not t paying attention to how much items and things that you have, crafting materials to make bullets and make guns, you can get overwhelmed pretty quick. But as I said, the, the main thing about this game is to be with people. And what's cool about it is, so as I said, you have the outside world where you do all these quests and you have your shield base. In your shield base, you, when you bring in people from the public, you can tell them what they have access to. Most of the time, you really want people for, for the shield defense to be there just to help you shoot off the zombies. But you might also have them help you build so you can actually turn on Hey, can they loot things? Can they destroy things? Can they build things? Or can they only stay there and just help you shoot zombies? Because obviously, you might get a troll who you invite to your shield base and the person starts tearing up your town. So you don't want that. Whereas if you play with friends, you could be like, hey, you need to build something or you need to take something, go ahead. But then when you're out in the regular world, you know, anything can happen. So you have this gigantic, not gigantic, but you have a large world and it could be like a forest, it could be a city, it could be a mix of the two. And you'll go around and you'll find treasure chests. You have to save survivors. There'll be daily quests like destroy this, find this information, things like that. And all these things help you not only get new schematics, new survivors, new items, things like that. But it'll also help you uh, increase your skills so that you can have better items. Because like you might have uh, bricks level one bricks, but as you go up higher, then you can reinforce them and make them maybe thicker cinder blocks, for example, or things like that. So for me, I, I, it's fun just because I've always liked that mix between a shooter and a building type game. And I love the idea of going out and building it. Um, a lot of the missions, at least in the beginning, are kind of the same because you end up doing a lot of the protect the van, pr uh, you know, build the atlas and then shield defense and things like that. But there's other things like you have a, a horde where 
you have these side missions that you do with your survivors where you send your survivors out on missions to get materials. But instead of those materials going into your pack, it goes into your survival bank. And in that mode, you, you only use items that you get from those missions to build up one fort, which then you defend against, you know, waves and waves of zombies. So for me so far, there's a lot to it. Some people complain that uh, there's some repetitiveness. Some people complain that you have to hunt away too much to get materials all the time. But for me, I mean, that seems to be one of the main points of the game is that you're running around getting materials, finding things. And like I said, it's fun to find the treasure chest or, you know, you save a survivor and they'll give you items and things like that. So I'm still going through it. I'm still in the very beginnings, but so far I, I like the, the concept of the game. I, I like that game. I, I will say what's funny about that game is I realized two things after I started playing a little bit. Number one, if you can get into maps where there's vehicles, before you even start the mission, just tear every vehicle apart, uh, uh, every car apart, because the machine parts that you get from that help you out in the long run, A, to craft weapons, and B, to craft ammo, which you need. So vital. The, the bolts, nuts and bolts. Yes, but if there was one thing that when I first realized it, I was like, yo, that is super cool. If you look at the husks, when they're running at you, next time you get a chance before you kill it, like run around the side. What I realize is like, you know how the husk, it's like the little skeleton head with the glowing eyes. And then you see the rest of the bodies like all greenish. If you notice right behind the head, there's like a little like thing behind it. It almost looks like a sweater. If you pay attention, that's actually the face, the skin of the face that is peeled back. And it's like a hoodie. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. I when I realized, I'm like, oh man, that's kind of cool that it's like the little skull is from the thing, like it's peeled its face off and it's just coming at you, you know, as that little thing. And I was like, yo, that is super, like, a, a cool little detail that I didn't realize it at first. And then when I noticed it, I was like, oh man, that is too cool. To be honest with you, I would say, just on my experience, that the game is a lot more fun when you're with friends. Yeah. Because you have more freedom to go off and do what you want to do and then focus on the task. Because obviously with any game, you're going to hear people say, oh, this person didn't protect. This person just sat there and destroyed things. This guy put together bad traps. And you avoid all that if you're playing with friends. And honestly, the game becomes really easy. Even if you have two people, if they know what they're doing and they can they build up their base, because you can do a lot of cool things with it. Like you can make it where you create a kill zone because they'll tell you which way the zombies They're are coming, coming from. Yeah. So you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it so the zombies walk down this one tube with a ton of traps and you can just gun them all down. Mm -hmm. And it works a lot better when you're with a friend or someone who you know has experience in these types of games. But honestly, I played with the public as well. And for as much uh, anger and frustration you can get with playing with pugs, I think that this game actually so far has one of the lowest ends of that problem. Mm -hmm. because, yeah, sometimes the guy might run off or launch the thing early, but for the most part, most people are just trying to get materials and they want to succeed. So, so far, even though, I guess maybe because you have to pay for it too, I don't know. I guess I'll, once I do PvP and I do, I give a report on that, I'll let you know. But it hasn't been bad as far as pugs. Yeah, like, it's what it intrigues me about it is like as of right now, it's pay to get in to do the campaign, but eventually when it actually launches, it'll be free. Um, 
but one of the things that's like really really nice is um so i've played the battle royale a little bit of it and i mean granted when you when you sit there and you look at it player unknowns battlegrounds is probably the best battle royale game out there right now but it's really fun and it adds one element that you don't have in player unknowns battlegrounds which is you can build cover you can build things to go real high up. So, like, that's one of the biggest things that I kind of find sometimes in Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is you'll have somebody in a building and you only got one entrance into the building. So, you got to go in and they can literally set up a death trap of people just waiting for you to come into that door. Whereas, I can know somebody's in a building in Fortnite and I can build stairs that'll get, lead me up onto the roof and I don't have to go through the door. That's there. I can take my pickaxe and just bust a hole through the through the roof and fall into the floor underneath me and take you out. So it's really, really intriguing how they did that. Like, I mean, there's there's people right now that complain about it where they say like, oh, like the one, the one thing right now that Fortnite doesn't have in the in the battle royale is you can't aim down sights, which is true. Yeah. But I mean, it's not something that they couldn't patch that in per se or fix it with something like that like it's it's a very minute thing where it's like all right whatever you know like really the only thing that you aim down sights for is if you have a sniper rifle in the battle royale because you literally look in the scope um but it's 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 really fun i I look at potential too because since you're able to build all these things it's kind of like i remember when i'm playing starbound i'm like you could do so much with it like when starbound first came out they didn't have like all the missions that you actually would do. Most of it was you build up, you find things, you can go to a couple other planets, and then you would do a couple of, I guess, your boss level events where you'd build up something and then like an alien spaceship would attack, you take it out and so on. And then as the game progressed, it actually had like a story where you went and you found a planet with other aliens and you had to go and do things. So it added to the fact that you're visiting strange new worlds and building you know, civilizations and stuff on them. And the same thing here, like one of the things people were complaining about, which I can understand was that there wasn't a Halloween type event, but Mm. all that stuff you can do. I mean, if you think about it with a world where you could tear apart or build anything, they could do so much with this game. Now we'll see if Epic does, does that. Um, People have also complained that by the time you get to the other cities, because you have like a bunch of cities that you start off with, depending on your level, Mm-hmm. Um, and they say that, oh, by the time you get to like the second and third tier cities, people get tired of the grind and this and that. And it's like, I could see that, especially if you always play alone, because I could see where you're like, wow, I just spent all my resources making items, making weapons, building up my fort, and now I got to go and do it all over again. But I mean, that's kind of the game. It's kind of like if you log into. My, uh, you know, Minecraft, and you say to yourself, oh my god, I gotta build another city? It's like, that, that's kind of the point of the game. But yeah. I think the shooting, the team dynamics, it breaks it up enough so that you're not just running around resources. Resources is important. Don't sleep on that, because I'm telling you, you'll think you have enough bullets, you'll think you have enough bolts, you'll think you have enough traps, and then you'll be doing a shield defense and you find out you're not. But <laughs> I would recommend, if possible, either play with friends or make find a group and, and play like 
I think even Reddit has a group of people now Reddit that can be dangerous because you don't know what you're gonna get. <laughs> but you know, if you can find a group of people to play with, I, I I definitely say that Fortnite is is awesome, and you guys should check it out. Yeah, that that's that's the only thing I have heard. Also, like the grind gets gets the people. Like even when playing with friends, like it's I'm one of those people that I don't like grindy type of games. And it's funny because one one of my coworkers, like he really loves the game and he plays it a lot. And he's like, yeah, you just have to sit down and do it. Um, and he said one key thing to it is pick one of the player classes and stick to that class. Um, so he he initially was like, oh, I wanted to do the the soldier, but then he was like, yeah, you know what? Like I'm gonna do the builder because now I don't think a lot of people are gonna play the builder class, which is true. Most most people online. Are either playing the sniper or they're playing the soldier, and he's like he's built up his his builder so far that like he gets so many bonuses now, like he literally can do, I think like uh, one of his abilities now is every single piece of building that he puts up counts as one building. So oh, no matter man. how many walls or how many things he builds, it counts as one. Whereas everybody for each piece that you put up, it counts as a building. And for you wondering why that's important, for some of the bonuses, because what happens is when you play the game, you not only get a bonus for multiple things, like you get a bonus, you get uh, a rating system for how many things you build, how many things you destroy, uh, your combat, and then like unity. And I forgot how the unity works exactly. Yeah, the unity was the how many, like as a group, how many pieces or structures you build to defend yourself. And it gives you like uh, it says like if you can defend yourself in, with fifty units built or less, right? Like you get a bonus, exactly. and that's a big thing like online. So like and to give you an example, what happened to me one of the last times I played. Um, we had I think a unity bonus of like sixty, and we were building up the base to protect it, and what ended up happening is one guy on the team, just for whatever reason started building stairs off in the distance to get to resources that you normally couldn't. And that counted towards our unity bonus. So when we finally got to the point where we're like, all right, let's really fortify this up and get it going. Like we blew past it. And then he was the one who was like, I guess we're not going to get the bonus for, for not building as many stretches. And literally everybody in our team was like, you are the one that was building stairs off in God knows where. Stairway to heaven. <laughs> right. The stairway to heaven just to get to a tree. And the, the killer thing about that is, is even if you build it and then destroy it, it still counts because you've already built it. So yeah. that was one of the big things where, like, talking to my coworker, where he says, like, all his structures count as one. Like, that could be huge because you could, like, build this ginormous fortress, you know, and it's like, all right, I built one unit. Yeah, and quickly on, on as far as money. So, you know, like he said, the battle world is free and then you have to pay to get – uh, the PVE campaign packs. Uh, I think right now they have a 40% off. So the starter edition is like 24 bucks and it goes up to the limited edition, which is like 80 or, or 90. But here's the thing. I, I personally haven't spent anything on it. Now, obviously I got the free pack to begin with, but in game they have these things called llamas and llamas are loot boxes basically. And the thing is, is that these items are important to the game. Because they'll give you schematics, they'll give you weapons, they'll give you gear, they'll give you survivors, all that you need. But you can earn these, a lot of them, at least the basic llamas, just by doing your regular quests. Also, just by logging in each day. 
And then you have your upgraded llamas that you can get by using the in-game currency. But the thing is, unlike a lot of other games, this game actually gives you a decent amount of chances to get in-game currency. Like, I think the really good llamas are 100 whatever V-Bucks, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. But I was able to get like 700 V-Bucks after playing maybe like a day or so of the and finishing the campaigns. And the quest will tell you, oh, you can earn 50 V-Bucks, 100 V-Bucks, and so on. And I've been able to get tons of epic weapons, epic schematics, epic survivors, epic heroes uh, just from not, you know, in-game. And I haven't spent a dime yet. So obviously, like anything else, you spend money, you'll probably get weapons quicker, survivors quicker, things like that. But you don't have to. As far as the survivor bonuses and things like that, the better you do as a group, the higher you'll get. Because as I said... If, when you start building, you start off, I think, bronze or silver or something, and it raises up. So if you're doing good at combat, you can get platinum in that. You can get platinum in building. You can get platinum in jo- destroying, platinum in um, unity, as well as there'll be bonuses for, like, if you didn't overbuild and things like that, or if it tells you finish it within two of the in-game, day, uh, in-game days. So what happens is, is that the better you do, it'll raise what kind of loot you get because it'll show, like, I think it's up to five or six treasure chests. And depending how high your score goes up, it'll move to the next level loot. I would mm-hmm. say average, most people will get between level three and level four. If you're really good, you can get level five. And the better boxes will give you more loot. And that can be same thing, schematics, survivors, things like that. So for people wondering, do I have to put in tons of money in this game? No, you don't. But with anything else, you can if you want to jump ahead or you just mm-hmm. have to have the best of the best. Yeah, that's 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 a really good like you know way that they like have done that if you really want to do it. But yeah, I find like it's the llamas are hilarious also. Yeah. Uh, I like it when you like you come on and you'll have like the hammer and you'll hear the llamas like, Hey, what's that hammer for? <laughs> like <laughs> stuff like that is like a little funny. And I like how they also do the like rare and ultra rare llamas where like you swing and you hit them and then it starts turning silver and then you swing and hit it again and it turns gold, gold and you swing yeah. and hit it and it bursts open. Like I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, well. definitely. So now my next thing that I wanted to do, so like the the classic thing of like here at Geek Salad, we always kind of like, uh, we have our board game, video game stuff and I kind of like to try and find stuff that kind of bridges the gap between the two. Um, and browsing around on Kickstarter, I actually found two projects that are going on, which one, unfortunately, if you're watching this, uh, as of our recording, it only has about 24 hours to go. It's only a day left, which kind of sucks, but I'm pretty sure they will come out with a retail version of it. So I would be on the lookout for it, um, is they are coming out with a Resident Evil 2 cooperative board game. Now, one of the things that's pretty interesting with this is when I first looked at the project itself, what intrigued me about it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that they're doing the whole Resident Evil thing for it. And you have the survivors and you have maps that laid out like the Raccoon City Police Department and all that stuff. And it has zombies and it has uh, Berkham as the main bad guy of the uh, game. Now, what's interesting is like the um, part of Berkham that he is the bad guy is if you've played Resident Evil 2, 
it's when he's evolved to the third stage. So already when you can't even see him as a human, he has a huge eye on his on his shoulder and all that, and he has a huge claw. So essentially like almost the last boss fight, or the second to last boss fight in the game itself, um, which is kind of neat. And looking at the Kickstarter right now, they did put a mini expansion where it gives you the T-00, which actually came out in Resident Evil 3, um, and the T-103, which is the evolution of the T-00. Um, one of the things that's interesting about the game is it's all um, cooperative. And what's kind of cool is, like, I kind of was wondering if they were going to do the whole, like, oh, just like in Resident Evil 2, the video game itself, that you saw the different evolution stages of Burkham after he injected himself with the virus. And it doesn't have it. However, they do have, like, an optional, like, expansion pack, if you will, that does have the different stages of his evolution. So the ones leading up to the one that you get with the game, which is kind of neat. Um, and then the other thing that was kind of uh, neat is the um, they do add in as an optional buy the whole giant alligator that was in the game. They do add in as an optional buy like upgrades to the doors and the terrain. So instead of having the cardboard pieces, you can actually put, you know, little 3D plastic figures in with it. These look nice too. Yeah, they really look nice. Now, the one that's really interesting to me is they have an expansion here of the fourth survivor, which it gives you Hunk as a survivor. But then one of the things that was really funny in Resident Evil when they like came out with all these advanced versions was they had um, they had the like where you played as like a block of tofu or whatever it was as a joke survivor well you can actually get it for the board game <laughs> and it's hilarious because it's literally like a little square with like two little hands and one of the hands is holding a knife which is so funny um and it's neat because they have, like, the, the deck of cards, which is, like, the equipment that you find and, and through it. And what's really cool is I was looking at some of the bonus stuff that they add to it or uh, that's in one of the expansions that it, instead of it looking like real, like, looking ammo boxes and the guns, it actually has the pixelated versions that they had in the game, which is kind of cool. Um, and that was, like, kind of, yeah, it's, like, the expansion is the retro pack for it. So it's kind of neat. Um, and then one actual um, optional buy that you can get is the stage five of, uh, or actually that comes with the malformations of G expansion. They have the stage five, which was that like huge, like worm-like thing that attacked at the end of the uh, game on it. So it's really cool how they, they built it up where it has a map. It reminds me a lot of the Zombicide board game itself. Uh, which I liked, but it, it, I kind of wish there was like a little bit more meat to that uh, game. The thing that looks kind of cool is it is going to have the whole, like you have a limited amount of ammo um, to your guns, so it is going to have that tension that Resident Evil had, which seems interesting. Um, so I'd like to really like 
get a demo in and see how the game actually plays out once it releases because I think it's going to be like a really interesting like adaptation of it uh, to the board. Um, and it'll give like I think a little bit more meat to uh, like a zombie side type of a game. Although I've heard with zombie side, if you're going to get zombie side, get the Black Plague ones because those are like phenomenal. Um, and this, and then, this already made nine hundred sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's this. insane. <laughs> like one of the ones that was, uh, or well, the other, the other, the thing I wanted to talk about, which was an even in, more interesting when I first first saw it. Um, because when I saw what game they're bringing out, I was like, wow, like they really reached back into the nostalgia box for this one. Um, but they're bringing out a board game version of Jagged Alliance. And one of the things that got me, like, I remember Jagged Alliance from way back in really great game and very strategic. Um, but these guys, like, they've transposed it pretty well to uh, to the board game itself from what I was looking at. Like, you have, a, like, not quests per se, but you have goals that you're trying to do. And it's really neat because, like, you have each of the different uh, soldiers that you play as have different, like, advantages and disadvantages and stuff. And you have, like, your missions that you have to do. Um, and it has like the enemy troops and they have them in like the board itself is kind of neat because it has like little zones like sector maps is what they call it so and then based on how you're going like how far out can you see can you see these guys that are here can you not see these guys that are here so it's pretty neat how they've they've built this game up like they have like end bosses and things um, and it does really does like give a bit of a feeling to the actual like jagged alliance game itself for the strategy of like how do you want to approach if you know like there's a certain number of guys here um and and pick that stuff up like it's it's kind of neat how they do that because there are like on the enemy side there's like tanks and stuff like that that you have to work around um which I thought was really fun. And I remember like playing the video game version of Jagged Alliance like when you had to fight against a tank like hoo 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 that was more of a, all right, let's go around the outside and not mess with the tank. Especially when you had nobody that had a rocket launcher. That was just like, yeah, I'm going to fire my AK out of a tank and it's going to do some damage to it. Um, that was like hilariously funny to try and see people do that. Like, I'm gonna it's another one where the figurines look really cool. Yeah, no, that that's the thing that amazes me with a lot of these like miniature game board games that they come up with. Like whoever they get to make these miniatures are amazing. Um, one that was funny that it, it, it's no longer on Kickstarter, but it was a game that I contemplated. If it wouldn't have been so much, I would have kickstarted it. it, is this game called The Seventh Continent. And The Seventh Continent, the best way to describe what it is, is it is literally, if you think of the old school choose-your-own-adventure books, it is a choose-your-own-adventure book in a board game. So it starts like your character's on this island or this continent that you don't know how you got there or whatnot, but you're basically exploring. And the way that it worked is you laid out the map, but the map was laid out with tiles that were face down that all you would see is um, like clouds. 
and then directions that you could go on those tiles. So you had a ton of actions that you could do, and you could go exploring and go onto that tile, and you'd flipped it over, and you saw it over. I, I could see by the look on your face, you literally just looked it up like, whoo. Yeah. Well, not just that. What I what really made my eyes go wide is how is much money they made. Yeah, the seven million dollars yes. out of forty thousand requested. Yes. Holy so here's, cow. So here's the thing with that. So when they did this is the second campaign that they've done because that one is an expansion to the original one, and they came out with a uh, uh, two Like essentially, they streamlined the game a bit. Now here's the thing: the original game went up on Kickstarter. A bunch of people backed it, and part of the thing of the campaign was is they basically said, like, this is the only way that you're going to get the game. The reason being is they use really thick cardboard for the tiles so that they don't wear out, and that at the price that they were, like, having people pledge to what they were basically selling it for, like, there really wasn't that much margin of extra money that they could make. So the problem was is to then make a bunch of copies, put it out on a shelf, and hope that people buy it. It wasn't feasible to put it in market. So literally, they said, this is the only way you're going to get it. So what's funny is, like, there were a lot of people that were really hesitant to jump into, into that because of the fact that it's like, hey, um, you're basically making uh, a game that not a lot of people know about it. And you're not going to come out with a a retail version for it. So people were kind of hesitant to that. Now, what's interesting is, as they sat there and the game was getting pledged and it made its goal and all that, you had these guys go to a lot of the, um, a lot of the conventions and start showing off the game. And people would sit down and play the game, and the moment they sat and played the game, they were like... I'm going to go pledge for this thing because it's a really good game. And it's neat because it's like there's different parts to it. There's the actual little tile cards that have numbers on them. And the map that you uh, – the numbers that are on them and all that, like as you go onto the tile, it has a number. and when Or the numbers on the back of the, the little tiles, I'm kind of like scatterbrained about this, is – it lets you, when you see the initial map of the campaign, it says these are the number of tiles you're going to need. So you go to the box and those that you pull out, and that's the map. And it tells you how to set up the map. But then you put these, like, uh, um, based on this map, it shows you which exploration cards go down on those, on those map tiles. And what it is is it shows you with the arrows, if you look at the example there, like which directions you can actually go to move. Now what's neat is when you look at the actual tiles, when you've revealed what's on the tile, there's little spots that'll have different like actions that you can perform and they'll have little numbers next to them. What's neat is with the little numbers next to them is it kind of tells you like what you need to for like a skill check type of a thing to do to pass. And if you pass that number that's there, there's a book that comes with it that you look up in the book that number and you read off the text of what actually happens. So that is the thing of the choose your own adventure part of it 
of it. So like on a tile, it could have like a little thing with an exploration and it ends up being like a cave picture on the thing. So like you got to this tile, there's a cave. Do I go in the cave? Like, do I want to like keep going and all that? So it's really neat, like really text heavy how they did it. And it was one of those things like when I saw that and I, I find it funny that they actually have a thing there that you can actually like late pledge for because I've seen like a lot of uh, things I've been doing that that you can actually pledge for it after the, the thing closes. Um, and it was really cool. Like the price tag on it is 130 bucks, and I was just like, man, that's a lot for a board game. But like, yeah. the thing about a lot of these Kickstarters also is like when you look at it is. Even if it's going to be a game that comes out in retail, you are going to get a lot more stuff in the Kickstarter versions than you will in the retail version, which is really nice. But it's one of those things like it's still 130 bucks, you know. Like, yeah, I'm going to get a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm pretty sure. Like, and and the other thing that a lot of people really liked about this game as well, and I forgot to mention this was what's really neat. If you look at the late pledge. Thing it has that little satchel and journal. Yeah, I was looking at well, that. Yeah, what that is actually for is you can actually put in the box. It gives you like a section of where you can put cards of the campaign that you're running, so you can put it away where you are. The satchel, the satchel and journal. Basically, you can write down like what you've done and where you are in the actual um, campaign. And then it'll let you pick right up where you left off. So they like a lot of the people that were playing it were saying like, oh, like the early maps, you can do it in like half hour to an hour. But when you sit there and um, and get into the deeper campaigns, like it'll take two, three hours to complete. And they're like, yeah, there's some people that they don't want to sit there and sit for three hours in one sitting like they actually made the game where you could sit there and say like okay we'll play for 45 minutes cool we got to this point let's put everything away and then a week later come back and go like all right let's pull out everything and we'll continue right where we left off you know so it's a really 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 nice way of them doing that for the game itself like it is one of those things that i really wish that they would have come with out with a retail version and it's interesting because it was literally two years since the first one that now they came out with this one. And it almost makes you wonder, like, hey, like, are they going to come out with a new expansion in two years? Or is this the only time you're going to, you're going to, is this the last time you're going to be able to get this game? You know. It's just amazing how many awesome video game and board game projects have come down the pike on Kickstarter. Oh, dude. But, like, seriously, like, when I saw how much they made, like, they literally made their 40000 in two, three hours when they put that project up. Like, boom, done. And it's, it's interesting because I have a feeling sometimes, like, there's some of these Kickstarter projects that they, it almost feels like they go to Kickstarter and they're like, we need a goal of $40,000. But, like, they could probably produce it if they wanted to. Like, they just want to put it up there just to make sure that it passes and use it as like a pre-order or the only way to order it. And that's my only gripe because yes, as much as people made fun of a lot of Kickstars back in the day when it first launched, like how bad they were or the items were terrible. Or you never least, got something. Yeah, but at least 
you know, you knew that like, a lot of these people were trying and that the ones that were bad would get weeded out and the ones that are good. What kind of upset me is when you started to have people who you know have contacts, have money, have fame go on there. Because what happens is I'm all for raising the bar. Everyone should try to improve. But it gets to a point where if someone who's already famous and has money can put together a five-star Kickstarter and someone that doesn't can only put together maybe a three-and-a-half star, those people could get buried or you might think, oh, that project isn't that good because of that. Luckily, thanks to like some of these games and stuff like that, it's more about what they could give you than what their presentation is. Yeah. But I kind of hate sometimes when you see that it's like celebrities and rich people doing Kickstarters. It's like, come on, you don't really need to be here. But I, I hey. laugh at the fact that if you sit there and you look at it, one, like I won't say they abuse the system, but they abuse the system. Uh, when it comes to board games is um, cool mini or not. Cool many or not, every single campaign that they come up with, they'll put a ridiculously low goal. And every single one of their games, like, you'll pay retail price for it, but you're essentially pre-ordering the game. And their big thing, like Cool Mini or not, does every single time that they come out with a game is they literally use it just to give Kickstarter-exclusive stuff that you will only get on Kickstarter. You're never going to get it anywhere else. And it's crazy because there's things like, so I did, um, I had gotten, I saw they put up uh, Arcadia Quest one time. And I was intrigued by it and all that. Like I played their Zombicide and I liked it and I liked the idea of Arcadia Quest. And I didn't Kickstart it and I bought the retail version. And then they came out with an expansion to it and I said, you know what? I really liked Arcadia Quest when I played it. Like, I'm going to kickstart the expansion. And when I kickstarted the expansion, I paid 120 bucks, which was retail. Well, actually, retail was that. was was 100 bucks. 120 bucks was because I got uh, a Pets expansion, which is something that they added in. So total, 120 But the amount of stuff that I got that were extra things that got put into into it like literally it is an entire box that they actually got enough money that they boxed it in a separate box to send to me and what's really funny when it comes down to cool stuff uh, cool mini or not stuff is i could literally if i wanted to if if the, the drive for the game is that much i could sell just that kickstarter exclusive stuff for twice the amount of what i paid for the for the game because literally the only way to get it is for people to do that. Like the, the the craziest one that they did was when they came out with Blood Rage. Blood Rage, they had Kickstarter exclusive monsters and things like that to it. Um, and they did for the player boards, like you have the markers for your clans. Like they came out with little plastic markers for the clan. You could have these like three specific monsters that you can only get through Kickstarter. Yo, literally those three monsters sold for three four hundred dollars on kickstarter alone you're not talking about all the plastic extra stuff it was insane and that's what's funny about this arcadia quest is like it replaces a lot of the cardboard stuff with little plastic things so like all the coins instead of them being cardboard like i have little plastic coins i have at least like 20 extra heroes that you cannot get outside of outside of a, a kickstarter like I have pets that you can't you can't get even if you buy that retail version of the pets expansion pack. Like it's insane. 
Like they did the same shit with Zombicide when Zombicide came out. That they had the little miniatures that looked like Jason Jason Staten, uh, and they had um, what's his name's character from. Uh, they actually had uh, from the Big Lebowski two of the characters that were an expansion, a Kickstarter exclusive. They had the dude and they had Walter as two of the characters survivors you could play. Although they weren't called the dude and Walter, but like you can literally the model looked exactly like the dude and Walter. Like they had like it's insane. They had one that looked like Chuck Norris. They had one that looked like Tom Selleck. They had one that looked like freaking uh, what's his name Sean Connery as James Bond. Like it was funny. They had one that looked like Ash, that was even funnier. Um, like yeah, the one that looked like Ash. He his starting equipment was a chainsaw and a and a sawed off shotgun. Like it was it was so funny because like you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, you could tell who they're who these guys are inspired by, you know. Although they didn't have they had different names, but it was just so funny. And those things would sell. Like I remember the original Zombicide. One of the uh, one of the extra survivors was Danny Trejo mm-hmm. as Machete. So literally it was Danny Trejo in the jacket and all that, like the leather vest from, from Machete with literally two long-ass machetes, and that's what he started the game with. It was hilarious. Nice. But yeah, bro. Well, I have a, a few little things in my box, my, my, my JA box of what? <laughs> and the first one I sent what? to, to many a, a, a while ago, the it was um, it was an ad on EA's page for games, and the ad said, "Awesome games under ten dollars." And the games they showed was Battlefield Three for nineteen ninety nine, Titanfall <laughs> for nineteen ninety nine, Plants vs Zombies Garden Warfare for twenty nine ninety nine. SimCity for twenty nine ninety nine and FIFA fourteen for nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> oh, good old EA! I'm missing the games under ten here, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's games under ten thousand. Yeah, I was about to say like, is this like games that you sold less than ten copies? Or? <laughs> <laughs> the second thing that was interesting, um, so ride sharing, Uber, Lyft, all that is really popular. Uh, I actually have a friend of mine who is going to quit his job where he's at now. Uh, now, he works tech support. It's not like some super, super high up job, but he actually gets paid decently per hour. But he says that he makes so much money doing, uh, you know, like uh, Uber. And he bought a car, like he bought one of the Prius cars for mm-hmm. it. He's already made enough to pay it off. Um, he he's makes a, more money than he does in his salary. And I mean, he compensates for gas wear and tear too. So it's not like he's just looking at default figures and saying, oh, I'm making money, but he's not. No, he's actually making good money. So I asked him, I'm like, what do you do? And he's telling me all these tips. And one of the few things that he does that's interesting is like he'll have drinks in his car. Like he'll go and buy bottled water and keep them in a cooler and he'll (laughs) offer it for free to his guests. And what will happen is they'll write up and say, wow, this guy was so great. He was nice. He had bottled water. His car was clean. So the thing is, is that it starts raising the bar for what you got to do. And there's websites that have all types of tips on what to do to be even better in the, in the ride sharing business. Because you get, you know, your ratings can be how much money you get, how many people will use you. So this one person decided to put a little TV screen on his back seat with N64. So you get inside this guy's car, 
And you can play, you know, Super Mario 64 or Star Fox 64 or various games on, you know, the original uh, Super, uh, uh, you know, N64 console. And I just thought that's just awesome, you know, because it's like I remember even back in the day when cabs first had the ability for you to pay from the back. They'd have a little screen and you could just swipe your credit card to pay and then you got out. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, ride sharing is just taking more and more away. <laughs> It, it's funny because I was watching a, a movie the other day and it was only a movie from like 2010 and they're talking about, you know, oh, I'm going to catch a cab, you know, just a little throwaway scene. You look now, almost every movie, when they say that someone needs to catch a cab, they don't say catch a cab. They say catch a Uber, Uber or, or maybe they change the name because they don't want to give them advertising, but no one says cab anymore in television shows or in movies, or if you, you might really see it. And I just think that's that's just crazy to see how quickly something can change our lives. Uh, but yeah, the idea, and there's more people that have seen this. Like, there's people that have Xboxes in their back. There's people that give their players the DS. The Switch is like a, a big thing that people have been using since it's so portable. So don't be surprised if you get into one of your favorite ride-sharing services and you find yourself uh, a video game console that you could play on your way to the airport or whatever. <laughs> That's the like that's the thing that makes me wonder that like there's people that do that that drive for Uber and they say like yeah I make more money than I did doing XYZ and it's like man can you really make that much money? The like, thing is I, you you hear both. You hear stories where people say oh it's a rip off. I don't make anything and I blow a lot of gas. But I think it depends what city you're in. It depends where you go cuz there's people that say hey you know what I know I'm going to get drunk people, but I prepare for that. You know, like my back seat or whatever is set up so that even if they're drunk or whatever, if they throw up, so, you know, I'll get my money, whatever. And they know how to hit these events. So they'll be like, I'm going to drive airport people during the day and then club people at night or event people at night. And if you know how to do these little things, yeah, you stack up. Now, if you're just out there in the middle of the day and you're taking somebody from suburb to suburb, you probably won't make that much money because the the money, you, the percentage you get plus what the rideshare service takes is, is you know. Yeah. So that it depends. Sense, um, finally, so we have our gamer profile segment, and for those of you that don't know what that is, originally Obsolete Gamer wanted to try and get prestige to the site because you know when we're doing a website which started out mostly classic gaming. It's kind of hard. There's tons of gaming websites. There's tons of people that do excellent work. So you kind of have to stand out. So what we wanted to do is how can we interview these people? And you know with anything nowadays, people want to know how many hits you get, how many subscribers you got, so on and so forth. And if you're brand new, why is someone going to waste their time doing 15, 20, 30-hour interview with you? And we understood that. So we came up with this concept where we called a gamer profile, and we would ask people a simple question. What is your favorite classic game, and why is it your favorite classic game? And the idea was, if you send these to people, it's such an easy question. It's nothing controversial. It's nothing hard. It only takes a few moments to, to do. And the, the good thing about that is that now you can get pretty decent names, big names in gaming, to answer and be on your website. I mean, that was pretty much it in a nutshell. So we've kept this going even though we've expanded and Obsolete Gamer got bigger and we started doing interviews and all that. We still do it. And we're always happy whenever we get a gamer profile for someone 
in gaming that we respect and like. And we recently got one from uh, Sir Richard Garriott. You'll know him, obviously, uh, from the Ultima series. And, you know, when we, we sent it to him through Twitter, and a lot of times we, we get ignored, but it was great. He, he responded us uh, telling us some of his favorite games. And it was kind of funny because, I mean, sometimes based on the games that these guys play or create or work with, you kind of think, oh, they're going to probably select this type of game or say that type of game or something. Or maybe they might even be PC and try and pick something that is, uh, that, you know, that won't have people be like, oh, he likes that. But what was funny is that he mentioned a lot of games, but one of the ones that was interesting was PlayStation 2. He said Parappa the Rapper <laughs> was one of his favorite games. Hmm. And it's just that, can you think, could you imagine, you know, Sir Richard Garriott being liking Parappa the Rapper. I can just see him there rapping along to the beat. <laughs> uh, but he also mentioned games like even on phone games. Yeah, he mentioned Spider. Uh, he mentioned uh, uh, PVZ1, uh, A Dark Room, Kingdom Rush, The Creeps, uh, Monument Valley 1 and 2, and Myst, uh, and as well as Command and Conquer. So... Those are just some of the top games that he likes. Um, he also liked Battlefield 1942 and yes. um, Medal of Honor. So it's just it's just cool to see someone that's you know been in so much of these fantasy type games, RPG type games, but he loves a wide variety of games, and that's another reason why we did gamer profiles because we've been surprised by some of the games that these people like from celebrities to people who create games to pro gamers. It's really interesting to see a lot of these games that, you know, either they grew up with or that they're just fans of still today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's always so cool. To like somebody like him that he's been developing forever, you know, like it's interesting to get into his mind and see like, Ooh, what games does he like to play and all that? Like, I mean, he was the grandfather of them all. I came up with Ultima online and I, I i crack up like there's so many funny stories of like stuff that they've done in ultima online with him oh yeah like oh my god like the i remember the craziest thing was the one where people tried to go and kill his like in-game avatar of like that was the king or whatever and they couldn't like they realized this is what people were trying to do and they just put this like super defense so they couldn't kill him and then it was like the whole like he did a joke thing where he made it like sure if you could kill my avatar in the game you guys become king and you rule it all and that's when it really got insane. Could you um, imagine people like oh my god yes and they're, they're like getting raped together. <laughs> it's like I want to be king. Let's do this. <laughs> oh well, folks, that wraps up another great episode of Geek Salad. Uh, as always, we appreciate We have seen that you guys have given us some comments on the videos. We have been able to reply to that. We'd love to hear from you guys. Any tips, any questions, any other suggestions, feel free to, to uh, put your comments in there. Uh, as always, we love it when you guys like and subscribe to the channel. We do produce two other shows. Uh, this being our more family-friendly show, we do have two great ones. Uh, you don't get the show, which is little less family friendly to say the least uh and our clickbait show which apparently on our channel has turned into the biggest uh winner that we have come out with mm-hmm. um 
but it is really funny to see just the different uh, amounts of views that we get for the videos. But we love producing this content for you guys. So the more you guys love our content, the more content we'll love to produce for you guys. So keep that, the likes and the subscribers coming. As always, I am Randy, the Mischievous Meepo, and with me is my great friend, Jose, Mr. Obsolete Gamer. Until next time, guys, peace, keep gaming, keep enjoying. Take care. Peace out.